Hey friends, we always put the explicit language flag on episodes of The Fairer Sense, but just a heads up that the language and content in this one are even spicier than usual. Definitely not kid-friendly or safe for work. If you're not into that, maybe skip this one and we'll be back with you next week, but I hope you'll stay tuned because it's one of our favorites ever. Here we go. Welcome to The Fairer Sense. With me, Tanya. And me, Kara. Women, money, and the fight to break even. Because we give a shit, and so should you. Today, we're talking about toxic masculinity. Hey, Kara. Hey, Tanya. I'm really excited to talk about gender roles and toxic masculinity today, and I have such a good top of mind example. Oh my gosh, hit me with it. <laughs> you know, you know I am here for this issue. <laughs> <laughs> so I live in Tahoe now, as you know, but before Mark and I moved up here, we lived in LA. He was there for six years. I was there for eight. And most of that time, the office that I worked in was near Westwood in West LA. And then later Mark and I lived there. And one of my favorite places to take people when they were visiting or even just like sometimes co-workers who didn't know about this place was, this is going to sound super creepy, but just go with it. Um, this little tiny cemetery that's tucked behind the tall buildings on Wilshire Boulevard in Westwood, this tiny cemetery called Westwood Memorial Park. And it's known really well for Marilyn Monroe being buried there. And my favorites are all of like the Billy Wilder movie people like Billy himself is buried there. He has the best epitaph ever. It says, I'm a writer, but then nobody's perfect. And a bunch of folks from his movies are in there. It's anyway, it's just like a lovely, um, peaceful little cemetery. And you would never know it's there when you're driving into it. You actually feel like you're driving into a parking garage. So occasionally, if I go back to LA, I love to just hop over there and just it's very tranquil. And I don't know this. I know this sounds super creepy, but I just I think it's a fun spot to go and like relax a little bit. And recently, Mark and I were there and I remembered that Hugh Hefner had bought the wall vault spot next to Marilyn. And sure enough, I went and for the first time saw that creepy old dude, his little plaque on the wall vault next to hers. And it just got me all kinds of fired up and kind of the worst way about toxic masculinity. Do you know the story of sort of like how Playboy began? I know very little about that, actually. So Hugh actually launched Playboy with nude photos of Marilyn that she had not consented to have run in Playboy. She had done a photo shoot with some photographer. She had gotten paid 50 bucks and she was promised that her face would be obscured in all of them so that nobody would ever know it was her. Her career was just beginning. This was the early 50s. Like posing nude was not a thing that was okay. And Hugh found out about the pictures and went and bought them from the photographer Marilyn didn't know. She didn't get any extra money. And he launched his whole empire on the back of it and went on in his life to make millions and millions of dollars. And Marilyn almost lost her career over it and never got any additional money. So all of that is, you know, creepy on its own. But then in addition, after she died a few decades later, he got the chance to buy the wall vault next to hers and decided that he needed to not only have like almost killed her career and made millions of dollars off her, but also like spend eternity next to her body. (laughs) Oh my God. So yeah, toxic masculinity. And then I was just looking this up because I was curious about it, about some of the details of it. And 
I found out that the spot above her, because this is, you know, you can picture like a mausoleum. It's like a wall vault. So multiple drawers high, many wide. So he was to one side of her. I heard that the spot above her, the guy who was buried there, who wasn't anybody famous, but when he realized that he had the spot over Marilyn, he insisted to his wife, his wife, that he be buried face down so that he could like face Marilyn's body forever. And if that wasn't creepy enough, it gets one step creepier. A couple of years ago, the widow of that guy who did in fact bury her husband face down as he wished, auctioned off the spot on eBay and decided to move him. She realized she could cash in, make a bunch of money and just bury him someplace else. He'd had like his time being buried near Marilyn. And it sold for four and a half million dollars for a mausoleum spot. Oh, my God. So we can only imagine what creepy person is going to go in there next. And it's just going to be this like wall of pervs around poor Marilyn, who had like such a tragic life and was a victim in so many ways. And like it doesn't even stop, even though she's been dead for more than 50 years. You know, it's wild. This everything about what you just said is completely wild. (laughs) I want to start with, I was out the other day at an event. This was maybe four weeks ago. And this man, Marilyn Monroe had come up and he said so vehemently, she was a whore. Like loudly, kind of angrily, she was a whore. And I got really upset because that word is really offensive, first of all. Mm-hmm. And second of all, like you are some 22-year-old dude in Austin, Texas. You don't know anything about Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> and like you said, she went through incredible amounts of trauma. I believe she had an abusive mother mm-hmm. and she was used and abused by a lot of men. And I think just her image of this you know, sexy bombshell was a huge weight for her to carry around. And she actively tried to move away from that and take on more serious roles and really wanted to develop her craft as an actor and was never really able to escape that because of men's obsession with her looks. And that to me is so sad. And now here, like you said, she's been dead for decades. And here is some dude who her legacy in his eyes is she's a whore. And she's now literally surrounded by a wall of pervs. I'm like, girlfriend, I feel for you. I feel for you so strongly. You are an icon to the fairest sense. And we respect you for so much more than just your beauty. Oh, yes. Yeah. And I mean, like, whatever. Everyone can have their own opinion of Marilyn and her work. I mean, I think I totally agree with you. Like, horror, like, where do you even get that? That just doesn't even make any sense. She, There's no evidence that she ever was a prostitute. <laughs> like maybe she had an affair with a president. Who knows? Like I think we don't really know this stuff. But she certainly was a person who had a hard life and who had a tragic ending. She died when she was 36. There is no world in which you die at 36 when everything's been going right for you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just like it's crazy. And and the way that men just like feel like they can sort of possess her or any woman or, you know, make all these decisions. And I get it. It's a cemetery, whatever. Like people are going to be buried around you no matter where you're buried. But sort of like even in death, even decades later, when feminism has come so far, like she can't have any control about this and can't keep men from, you know, trying to get their hands on her. It's just ugh, it's so icky. <laughs> Thank you.
Toxic masculinity is this idea that stereotypes we have around manhood are geared towards dominance and control and power. And I think in this case, it's a classic example of Marilyn being powerless and Hugh Hefner having all the power and making decisions that affect Marilyn's life. And she has no say. She's not compensated. And it affects, it has long reaching effects for her. And he, I think another level of this is he is glorified for the very same images that she is penalized for. And that is so messed up and goes into a lot of different gender roles. And I'm going to say it, my favorite word, patriarchy (laughs) and sexism. It's all tied up together. And this notion of toxic masculinity, I think is very apparent, especially here in the US where we are seeing these mass shootings perpetrated by particularly young white men over and over and over again. And even in one-on-one interactions we have with women as women, even in one-on-one interactions we have as women with men. I think this story is a perfect example of that. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things where people need to listen to their guts. Like, I don't know who would hear all of this and not just on some level think like, ugh. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That means something important, you know? Like if we all go, okay, that's a little gross or whatever. Like we need to be listening to that as a society and not glorifying that. And Hef is a guy who, you know, had his whole career off people willing to not say ugh or willing to say it and pay for his product anyway. But yeah, like there was definitely a huge lack of consent in every aspect of the interaction between them. And did I, I don't think I even said before, they never even met. He never met Marilyn, but he, <gasps> oh I know he God. built his whole empire on top of these photos that he'd bought without her consent. And then now is buried next to her for eternity without her consent. Oh my God, what a creepy frigging stalker. Like that's so gross. They didn't, I just assumed they had met at some point, but no, he just built his company and determined where his body would lay forever off of some woman that he like fantasized about. I mean, this is so weird. Hugh Hefner, you are so disgusting. Oh God. I know. Uh, Like that shooter a few years ago that started the um, yes, all women hashtag that was just sort of like, oh yeah, well, you know, you're a woman. So like you ultimately are property and I get to make these decisions and I'm entitled to that. Like I know not all guys at all think that way, but the fact that that thinking does exist for some is a huge problem. A huge problem. And I think to go back to what you were saying about hearing this story makes us all go, ugh, on some level. I think when it comes down to issues like this, it really is such a help when men say, dude, that's creepy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like a way to combat toxic masculinity is if you are a man or you identify as male to not engage in toxic behaviors. And so one of the men that I love and that I've told T-Bone I will leave him for (laughs) is Chris Evans. A white guy? Really? (laughs) I know. (laughs) Shocking. But yes, I do maintain a list of men that I would leave T-Bone for. And Chris Evans is on the list. But Chris Evans is the most privileged person in our society, right? Straight, white, male, good looking, tall. He's got it all. And he has been very open about his personal experiences with both depression and anxiety. He's mentioned that he's been in therapy and he openly talks about this again and again, as well as just being like a great woke dude with an adorable (laughs) dog. Like Chris Evans is everything I want in life. (laughs) And there's this amazing video that I will link to. You can really find him talking about it in a lot of different places, but 
This one video in particular we will link to in the show notes talks about him turning down the role of Captain America initially. And they ask him why he did that. And he was like, you know, they wanted six movies, which is a decade of my life. And I'm giving up privacy. I'm giving up all these other things. And then he says, and also, you know, I have anxiety around doing press. And this is going to be a ton of press to promote all of these movies. And so I talked to my therapist. I talked to everybody in my life. And he says it so casually. He's not like, and so I went in and spoke to a therapist. (laughs) He's like, yeah, I talked to my support network, including my therapist. And I think the more that we can have men in positions of power like Chris Evans saying things like, I go to therapy, anxiety is real, I've been depressed, like I cry, the better off we're all going to be. Oh, gosh, yes. I think that's right. Like, I think there's so much in all of this that really does require men, you know, like we can talk and certainly this show is primarily for women, though we love the guys who listen. We love all the male allies of of feminists out there or men who identify as feminists. But women can't do all this alone. Like we can't change it all. We can talk to each other and we can think about ways that we can make a difference among ourselves. But we do need that. We do need guys like Chris Evans, just like being willing to acknowledge vulnerability. And we need guys calling out bullshit and calling other men on things like all of that burden shouldn't always fall to us. That's actually something that's going to come up a little bit later in one of our interviews today. And speaking of the interviews, we obviously feel really strongly about this. (laughs) And we wanted to talk to some other women who feel strongly about it. But we also strive in this podcast to hear from other voices. And so we're not just going to hear from ladies about toxic masculinity today. Absolutely. We're talking to a dude. Yeah. talk masculinity and only talk to women. That would be like having a panel about women's health. That's all white male doctors. (laughs) And that never happens, right? No one ever does that. Never. (laughs) I just died. I just can't do this podcast anymore because I just died. I talked to my cousin, Sam Donovan, who is a two-time reality show loser. (laughs) (laughs) And I can say that because we're a family and he also described himself that way. But he is a fashion designer and now teacher. And he was on the show Under the Gun as one of the contestants. And he's just great. With Tim Gunn, the Tim Gunn. And so you can go see him on TV. I don't know what season. I actually haven't seen it myself. (laughs) But everyone else in my family has, and we're all very proud of you, Sam. Um, (laughs) We wanted to get the perspective of a non-straight man. So Sam is gay, and we talk a little bit about what masculinity means to him as a gay man and the effects of toxic masculinity and definitions of masculinity in his life. I just sort of tried to combat whatever stereotypes I have against masculinity and like shove it all down to that super vague answer of just like, you know, masculinity is is whatever sort of characteristics that you sort of relate back to your own presentation of being a man. I don't know, as like a gay guy, like the kind of guys that I like am around aren't those like terrible like well like a man is this and a woman is that because we don't really like have to think about women (laughs) in that way (laughs) 
<laughs> like, I mean, it's just, it's, 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 it's funny being a gay guy. Cause like you watch like straight people, like talk about their relationships. It's like, Oh, it's because she's a woman is, Oh, because she's a, he's a man. It's like, no, we actually have those same exact problems. So you're just full of shit. You're aware of toxic masculinity and how harmful some of these stereotypes of men can be to men. And you're kind of living in a world where you're just like, I'm choosing to not accept that as the definition of masculinity. To me, masculinity is just aspects that are associated with someone who identifies as a dude. I think that's the world we all want to be living in. (laughs) I mean, as you've come to this definition, like what have, what do you see as toxic masculinity? Just this idea that like there is only one way to be masculine. I think that that's the most sort of like toxic part is that there's only like one, like if you're not, uh, what's that, what's that guy's name? Chuck Norris, like you're not masculine. I also think that like a, a big part of the toxicity in that is that when you're thinking of as, of that as like the only way to be, you're also thinking of it as like superior to like femininity. And you start to like look at anything as that's not that like sort of like butch aggressive personality type as like weak or inferior. And I think that that's where toxic masculinity comes from. I completely agree. And that is really the root of sexism, right? Where people believe that masculine is better than feminine and therefore men are better than women. And therefore we don't need to pay women as much and we don't need to treat women with respect. And I think that bleeds into gay culture. It's been argued that um, homophobia is just misogyny that's been sort of like carried over to gay guys as a form of like oppressing them. Honestly, where I think where you see like a lot of preconceived notions or like negative notions of like what masculinity is, is like in the dating world, especially on like dating apps with gay men. Like, I'm not sure if you've like heard about the sort of like mask for mask culture that permeates through the, the gay world. Actually, no, they, yeah, they don't really say mask guys. They just sort of say only into mask, which like, ugh, like hard pass on your inferior <laughs> grammar usage. But it just, it, like, I, I remember having a conversation a couple of weeks ago with this young man. I think that he was in his early 20s. And he, like, very clearly, like, was not, like, trying to present himself as anything that was, like, hyper-masculine. But he, like, said that the only kind of guy that he was into on his profile text was masculine guys. And we had been having, like, this really nice conversation And, like, then I, like, sort of, like, scrolled through his profile and I was, like, oh, like, what's this? What do you mean by this? Because, like, you never know what they mean. I mean, like, I you have a general idea because, like, people are full of their own shit and tend to, everyone tends to be full of the same shit when it comes to this. But he was, like, oh, you know, like, I'm just more, like, feminine and I like, like, a masculine guy to sort of balance that out. And I was, like, oh, all right gross. I guess we're going to get into this instead of just like making out in the back of a Toyota somewhere. But I was just like talking to this kid about like his perceptions of like masculinity and, and femininity and like what was masculine. And he like, I finally like got him to sort of admit it's like, you know, well, like, I guess I don't really like care about like the sort of performed behavior of someone as long as they make me feel a certain way. It's like, yeah, exactly. Because, like, you shouldn't just sort of decide that, like, 
if someone performs a certain way that they're going to make you feel a certain way. And actually along those lines, do you find that there are any stereotypes of gay men with money specifically that you've encountered? Like mask guys are better with money. I mean, yeah, there are stereotypes that like more feminine guys are somehow worse with their money, which I don't necessarily see. And that like, if you're sort of like a, a butcher, more, you know, I hate the term, but like straight passing guy, like you're more successful because you can sort of fit into that like 80s, 90s version of like a successful movie star white guy. Yeah. And we had an episode last season on women and success. And the woman that I interviewed was very frank and said, I personally see success as a woman succeeding in a male dominated field. And so I think that idea of like white men as the status quo and white men as the peak, we all, because of these gender binaries and because of the patriarchy, (laughs) um, to some extent, we aspire to that because other people read that as success and we want to be successful. Um, we want to be read as good with money and we don't think of someone in like a tutu with glitter on their face as necessarily being a sound investor, you know, and women get that as well. Like we don't think of a woman who's wearing like high fashion and a face full of makeup as necessarily good with money. She's much more likely to be seen as vain or has a shopping addiction or something like that, which are negative connotations. And it's total crap. So I like, I work with drag queens and it's not, I mean, unless you sort of like hit it big on like RuPaul's Drag Race, it's not exactly like a high return investment for sure. You tend to spend at least as much money on, on drag as you sort of make back from it. Working with drag queens, like you can really see like just how organized every single piece of their drag persona or their drag career is because it has to be because if you don't sort of like take care of that all of a sudden you know you've spent thousands of dollars on sequin gowns that you have nowhere to go in but like you know they're pretty so something that i'm always really interested in the dynamic between like oppressor and oppressee where I feel really strongly it's not the oppressed group's job to educate the oppressor. And it is the oppressor's job to like go out and educate themselves and be cognizant of the world we live in and the paradigms that we live in. So when you're doing drag, when you're, because I know that, I mean, (laughs) full disclosure, Sam wore a dress to our family's Easter celebration and like our family is not down with that. (laughs) Half of them are, half of them are, half of our family is cool. Half of our family is Republicans. What are you going to (laughs) do? So, and that's like kind of drag, but it's not like full hair, full makeup, drag show, RuPaul drag, but it is clearly playing with gender binary and saying, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to wear traditionally feminine clothes. I definitely wouldn't call that drag. Drag is, is a performance, which I suppose I was doing. That was probably more like sort of cross-dressing or like sort of like blurring gender lines. Whereas like, I tend to think of drag as like, yeah, like we're supposed to like assume that this person is a woman, but really what it is, is it's, it's a guy sort of like breaking these sort of like gender binaries for, for performance um, and entertainment. Because I've always said that like great drag is entertaining and can be social commentary 
on gender and race and a bunch of different things, but bad drag is just misogyny. Super excited to share with you guys an interview that I did with the two anonymous lady bloggers behind the blog, Bitches Get Riches. I don't know if we've talked about this before, Kara, but I do have kind of a problem with the word bitch. I don't like describing women that way, but I recognize that they do it as like a reclaiming the term and proclaiming their strength. And they are just super badass. Um, wait, I can't believe we've never talked about this because I too don't use the B word. I find it very oh, offensive. Right on. <laughs> I remember when they first popped up on my Twitter dar. That's Twitter radar. (laughs) In case you weren't sure what I just said. Um, I remember when they first popped up on my Twitter, I was like, ooh, don't know if I love this name, but I love the content. And now I'm just like, you ladies are amazing. And you obviously think the term is apt and you like it and are reclaiming it. So like, you do you. So they go by the blog author names Piggy and Kitty, obviously not their real names. And we're going to hear from them right now. I'm Kitty. And I'm Piggy. And, and this is... No, we fucked it up. <laughs> no, it's already bad. It's not going to work. Done. Let's close this. I'm Kitty. I am a Slytherin. And I, Piggy, am a Ravenclaw. I have worked in book publishing for almost a decade now as an acquiring editor, which is a very powerful position on the surface in that basically my whole job is choosing what books are going to get published and which books are fucking not. So, you know, whenever your author friends are like, I got rejected by an editor and they're so mean and they just sent me a form rejection letter, like I'm the asshole that's sending the form rejection letter. And it's not even me. It's like my intern. So that right away puts me in a position where I get to make choices with little to no oversight about what voices are going to be heard in the book publishing sphere. And I would occasionally get older men, older white dudes. um, And this one I'm thinking of in general, like kind of dressed like Rodney Dangerfield, which I know because he insisted on an in-person meeting. And at the time I was working for a publishing house that was small enough that I could actually take an in-person meeting if I absolutely had to. And to be fair, his book proposal looked like something that was right up my alley. And so we had spoken on the phone and I had agreed to this in-person meeting, which I don't typically do. You know, most times when people either call, I'm like, I don't take phone calls. And when they want a meeting, I'm like, I don't take meetings, like send me the proposal and I'll decide from there. But his proposal looked interesting enough that I was like, fine, I will entertain a meeting. Um, And at the time I had this amazing young intern. He's he was 20 years old at the time. His name's Kyle. Shout out to Kyle. But he he looked like your typical like state university frat bro. He was not. He's an amazing young man and I admire him greatly and he's one of my best interns of all time. So Kyle and I walk into this meeting and I am a bit of a baby face and a woman you might have noticed. So we walk in and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm who I am. And this is my intern, Kyle. He'll be sitting in on our meeting with me. And I had instructed Kyle, you know, just take notes, just listen and observe, watch me work my magic, and we'll sort of discuss it later. 
Do we totally know where this story is going? I mean, I hope you do. I hope you can see what's happening here. Um, it's rather unfortunate, and it was a little shocking. In the moment. Uh, I, I'm like mad already. Oh, you and should you be. haven't even you told the be. story. So the point of this, like the buildup, is that we sit down at a round table, and the author immediately turns towards Kyle and starts addressing him and giving him his pitch with like nary a breath taken so that I can get a word in edgewise. And I'm noticing that this is happening. And poor Kyle like kind of looks at me, his boss. And he's, I can tell he's getting uncomfortable too, because the guy's just, you know, talking at him, looking at him, addressing him directly, asking him questions. And he's an intern. He's 20 years old. He's a college student. He has no preparation to deal with this. His only qualifications are he's a straight white male. And I am not those things. Um, well, you know, one out of three-ish. Uh, sexuality is a moving target. It's fine. So I eventually get a little desperate. So I start asking the guy, the author, really stupid questions just to get his attention back on me. I'm totally flummoxed. You know, about half of my authors are women, about a quarter of them are people of color. And I'm very good at working with young women authors, my peers, basically. And I, I very rarely up to this point had sexism at me. Like he's sexist all over me. And I wasn't quite prepared to deal with that in the workplace. So I just kept getting all flustered and just being like super pissed that he was addressing my intern. And at one point, you know, I asked him a point blank question and he looked at me, paused, turned to Kyle and said, I don't know, Kyle, what do you think? And then again, my poor intern was like, I have to come up. Yeah. So long story short, I eventually get this guy out of the office with a, "Mm, yeah, you'll hear from me later. And I was furious and Kyle was super uncomfortable but it led to this great moment between us where Kyle and I sat down and he was like, did, did that just happen? Did, did, did he just completely disrespect you and like favor me instead because I'm a man? And it, we had this great moment where I was able to be like, yes, this happened, Kyle. Like what you just witnessed was super sexist and not okay. And your job as a straight white male in the workplace from here on out is to intervene in those moments when you see that happening to a female coworker. I did not expect you to intervene then because you're my fucking intern and you're not prepared for that. But you know, as you start your career as a professional grown up, like your job is to cut that shit short when you see it. Um, so we had this great teaching moment and I have, you know, faith for the future of humanity because the Kyles of the world are going to take care of that shit in the future. And he got it immediately. Fast forward like three days, the author calls me. I don't take his call. Couple days later, he calls me again. I don't take his call. Couple days later, he calls me again, and I take his call. And I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I've just I've got a lot on my plate. I haven't made a decision yet. And I've obviously made a decision from the meeting because I hate him so much that I'm not going to work with him. Um, but he doesn't realize this. So he says in the phone call, "Well, I know, honey, you're a very busy girl." Oh. And I was like, actually, you know what? <laughs> I just made up my mind. Yeah, you know, um, you're going to have to get your book published elsewhere. And then I like, you know, mic dropped and sashayed away. And it was a beautiful moment. I have been over here, like shaking my fist through that whole story, but then like giving (laughs) you like a big high five. Um, (laughs) Right? I self-fived and then I high-fived Kyle because he was like my sidekick in smashing that little patriarchal moment. I think that there's such an age-linked thing to all of this. 
I think of my first experience having something like that happen. I had the dream internship at NPR in DC and they let us, yeah, no, it was awesome. And they let us produce like our own show as interns. I was doing a story about young voters, which continues to feel perennially timely. Um, One of the things that I did in that story was I interviewed the guy who was the go-to guy about voter participation. You know, he was like the think tanky old DC dude who had all the data in his head about who voted and why and when and all that stuff. I had called him and invited him to come in and, you know, I can put on like a big girl voice when I need to and can sound a bit older and such. And mm, so yeah, I'm, I'm sh- the older voice. Yeah, yeah, totally. So <laughs> I'm sure I, I fully did that to invite him. And I'm sure I did not tell him I was an intern, but it didn't matter. You know, I was doing an NPR story. It was going to be at the NPR studio. It was not relevant how old I was. And you should have seen though, like when he came and I greeted him in the lobby, like the way that his whole posture changed and his face fell of like, oh, I'm talking to a child. And he he proceeded, he refused to like sit up straight where his voice was actually on mic. So he's way back here trying to talk. So he sounded terrible. He was like pouting. He gave like one word answers, which he had been on NPR dozens of times at that time. He freaking knew how to do a radio interview. Yeah, exactly. He just decided he didn't want to participate because I was a young woman. Here at The Fair Sense, we get real about money. So how real would it be if we then shoved a sponsor message on you trying to sell you something you don't need? Not very. So we won't do that. But we will tell you about services we love that save you money on things you already use. That's why we are super stoked that season two of The Fair Sense is sponsored by Autoslash, the number one site for getting a great deal on a car rental. Because you gotta rent a car sometimes, right? Autoslash is completely free to use, and on average, renters save 30% or more using it. Autoslash searches all the major rental companies like Hertz, Avis, and Thrifty, so you won't end up in some sketchy no-name rental lot wondering what you've gotten yourself into. They do the legwork for you of seeking out the best discounts and coupon codes, so you save money and time. And they don't stop looking for deals when you book. Up until the day you pick up the car, Autoslash keeps searching for discounts and will email you if they find a lower rate. It's like price protection on your rental and one less thing you have to think about. Why can't all travel be like that? Right? Use Autoslash to book your next rental car at autoslash.com. A lot of my interests are sort of classically male interests, things like power tools and video games. That's all my jam. And I work in technology. For a while last year, I was on a team of 20 some odd people, and I was the only uh, woman on the team. So I have felt for so much of my life that siren song of being considered cool, because as someone who is constantly surrounded by men and a very toxically masculine definition of what is a cool girl, it would be much easier for me to conform to the stereotype of a cool girl and get all of the like positive attention and the affirmation that comes with that than it would be for me to just be the person that I am and fight for them to stop stepping on the parts of my identity that don't fit into that. And I think when you are younger, often you are in a position where you feel like you struggle so much just to fit in with people to find your tribe. And when you finally find them, and they're mostly dudes, and they would love it if you like, drank beer and love poker and love to say the word cunt a lot. Like, yeah, so edgy. I think it's super tempting to give into that. And you can get a lot of positive attention for that. 
I really think that the key to undoing this vision of the cool girl lies in women creating new definitions of what cool is. Mm -hmm. Because I think that that cool girl stereotype is like, it's straight out of like Revenge of the Nerds. Like it's a very old stereotype that kind of, I think, culminated around the 80s and the 90s of like the badass chick who's like, super beautiful and doesn't know it and can eat anything, never gains weight, doesn't care about her appearance, but also she's beautiful and always wearing makeup, but she doesn't look like it. Like, oh my goodness, like that is such an old stereotype. And I feel like as the internet has democratized the ability to create media and get popularity and get an audience, more and more women don't need to rely on a male audience to craft stories about themselves. And they're able to put out like, hey, what if we told a story about a girl who doesn't conform to these things, yet who clearly is cool? And what if we build a new role model for what a cool girl can look like? And that that kind of thing gives me a lot of hope because I think it's scary to go somewhere where there's no blueprints, no templates, no feeling that like, hey, if I act this way, I'm probably going to get this kind of attention. It's it's scary to put yourself out there and think, am I going to be judged by my coworkers? Am I going to be judged by the people who I do my very important hobbies with? Um, <laughs> it's scary. It's super interesting thinking about the difference of audience or who you're here for. Kara and I, when we started this podcast, you know, we've always wanted guys to feel welcome here. We don't want this to be a space where we're just like bashing dudes. Like mm-hmm. we will bash shitty dudes, no problem. But like we don't have any illusions that like all guys suck. They don't. Like most Mm -hmm. of them can be good allies if they just learn how to do that. At the same time, like we aren't here for guys. We are here for women. We think we need guys to be a part of that. And certainly like guys have to be part of the solution all the way. But it felt like almost a radical thing to say like, yeah, no, we're doing this for the ladies. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. We hope guys will come along for the ride. But you know, so when guys like criticize the show or say like something's wrong with what you're saying, we're like, "Uh, yeah, we're not here for you. Yeah, it's like we literally did not ask. And also, like, <laughs> I like even the term toxic ma- masculinity, like, I feel like too many dudes focus on the masculinity part of that. Like, you know, I've, mm-hmm. I've gotten criticism before for writing about toxic masculinity and patriarchy and, you know, the straight white males. And it's the, you know, hashtag not all men scene where they're like, mm-hmm. oh, well, so like being a man is wrong, or whatever. Like, it's like, no being a man in this way is wrong. Like I know plenty of like super masculine dudes who are also nurturing and compassionate and creative and just like great listeners. Like my my husband is spoiler alert, he's a giant fucking mountain man. He has a full beard and he's enormously tall and muscular and just, you know, you look at him and you think Does he have a blue ox? Does he have a blue ox? Oh, as in yes. David. Yes. So I am married to Paul Bunyan. Um, he could easily be mistaken if he was really swinging his arms while he walked. Easily mistaken for a yeti. Like he's all the time. a very seven foot tall oh. man who is often found in a ravine mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. some sort of some sort of plateau of some kind. Yeah, like we cannot go camping without the paparazzi like hounding us. It's a little ridiculous, but you know, God bless him. He he carries that burden with grace. He looks like your schema of a jockey, redneck, ignorant asshole. And spoiler alert, he's one of the most well-read people I know. 
He identifies as a feminist. He works with children. You know, I, I won't really reveal his career, but he teaches a curriculum of positive masculinity and he takes it very seriously that it's his job to advocate for girls and women. And, you know, you look at him and his masculinity is not impugned in any way by his preferencing the rights of women and girls. His, you know, focusing on the education of young men to respect women and to, you know, live by feminist principles does not in any way compromise his masculinity. So when I hear guys be like, oh, so I like, I can't compliment women on the street. I can't even talk to a girl anymore. Like, God, come on. You know, Napoleon Dynamite voice for some reason. Uh, I'm just like, no, you're missing the point. Toxic masculinity is the wrong thing. We want positive masculinity. We want the masculinity of men who think that their strength is in lifting others. And like, I can't think of anything more admirable than that. And yet we have dudes with their heads full ostrich stuck in the sand being like, well, there's only one way to be a man. And apparently that's toxic masculinity. It's like, no, it's not. Please listen. And you raised something I think super interesting that talking about both your husband and your former intern, Kyle, like mm-hmm. two guys who look like a stereotype. You know, I I won't assume that you guys do this, but like I definitely sometimes judge guys. I'm like, oh, that's such a bro. That's not going to be someone who's an ally. But I think that that's a really bad assumption to make. And I think mm-hmm. giving guys the benefit of the doubt and assuming that any of them could be good allies if they just are able to see where the problems are and the stuff that, you know, other guys are doing that is causing the problem. Like I just, I think that has to be a big important step is we have to keep our minds open and be willing to try to bring more guys along with us. Yeah. I think that one of the sort of revelations that I've had over the course of my, I don't know what you would call it, not a career, but our time writing Bitches Get Riches is um, giving me a lot of time to meditate on my own values and the way that I look at the world. The biggest lesson I have learned for myself in this phase of my adult life is realizing that if I'm not going to do for somebody else, why the fuck would they do for me? And I really feel that One of the reasons that I want to dismantle the patriarchy is because it will make my life substantially easier. But it is not the only reason. It would also make my husband's life substantially easier. It'd make my little brother's life substantially easier. And because I really actually hate the whole like, well, I want to make life better for my daughters. Don't have to be related to anyone for you to want their life to be better. I want it to be better for all men and women everywhere. And I really feel strongly that I know some women get a little turned off by constant reminders that when the Me Too movement is in full swing, and I do see some women who are sort of irritated when someone says, you know, well, uh, women aren't the only victims of, of sexual assault. I know a guy who's raped by a woman and he gets no support, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, that's real. And I'm trying really hard to create an environment where that's not Mm -hmm. acceptable and where men aren't mocked or disbelieved or laughed at because of stereotypes that unfairly peg men as constantly in control of everything, always hypersexual, always out of it's it's such an odd toxic masculinity makes no sense 
I, uh, I'm, I, I'm just like the way I feel so frustrated at all the expectations that exist for me as a woman. And I want to wake men up to the idea that they're allowed to be frustrated about the way that they are expected to be because it's a two-sided coin for every expectation there is about what a woman is and is not there is expectations about what a man is and is not girl preach and neither of those things are fucking helpful even when they are benevolent they're bullshit and i don't want them yeah yeah, this is going to be really hard for you to edit. We're like super good. Oh yeah, at this. there's too much gold here. This might have to be like five episodes. Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're fucking welcome. Can I be really vulgar? Oh yeah, yeah, do it. Okay, good. I- I'm just going to say this. So I am a woman who mm, I would say I enjoy women a lot more than men. I'm a, I'm a bi woman and my general preference is for women, but I am married to a man and he is so many things that a toxic masculinity driven culture tells him uh, are wrong to be. He's very kind, not like a nice guy, but a kind human being. He's very nurturing. He's constantly anticipating my needs. He is an amazing feminist. He is always looking out for ways that he can improve in his ways that he sees the world and responds to it. He is compassionate. He, 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 in many ways is, um, a sort of classic definition of a great wife. He is a great wife. He's the best wife. All of that said, his dick goes into me and it fucks me senseless. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) The, the whole idea. I love how Piggy that, like agreed with that. Yeah. I mean, like, girl, get it. The whole idea that a man who is a feminist has been somehow emasculated. <laughs> Honey, it's not happening for me. Um, in fact, like the fact that my partner is so open and welcoming, just shit doesn't get you any wetter than that. Like he and I go to gay bars to watch RuPaul's Drag Race together and he's highly invested in the outcome. <laughs> so I, I really feel like, again, in the same way that I'm seeing a lot more models for how women can be heroic, I think slower to catch up to that has been women's depictions of men that lie in the face of toxic masculinity. I think a lot of men tend to live in fear that what they've heard about toxic masculinity is correct, that if they stop embracing uh, that sort of violent macho form of, of masculinity, that it means they will lose some kind of power. No, it gets you a lot more pussy. Like just <laughs> yeah. from, from take it from this queer woman, you will get a lot more pussy if you like put your will actually away open up your ears and listen and be open to saying, you know what, I've never heard that perspective before. And it's hard for me to wrap my brain around, but I believe you. Oh, son, mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. get what you want. I only fuck <laughs> feminists. It's true. strikes me in both of our interviews and in our daily lives is how we are living in a world that is just using straight white male as the default and everyone else is the other and therefore the lesser. You know, when Piggy was talking about how this author was just 
speaking to her intern instead of her, it's because he was like, oh, another dude, the only person that matters. <laughs> you know? like, mm-hmm. um, everyone else is an addendum. And Sam speaking to how in the LGBTQIA community, the closer you are to straight passing, kind of the more legit you are, it's the same thing. The closer you are to this male norm, and obviously I'm using air quotes, the more legit you are. And that really drives me up a wall because it hurts all of us. It really, really does hurt all of us who are not straight white men, but it also limits straight white men. And I just really want to be done with this. (laughs) Yeah. And there are so many ways that I think we keep reinforcing this idea, like, After the movie A Wrinkle in Time came out recently, which is the classic children's book, and it was directed by Ava DuVernay and starring Oprah, Reese Witherspoon, and Mindy Kaling. It's just like a beautiful, lush, love-filled, amazing movie, also starring Chris Pine, um, a handsome white male. But he was not the one on the posters, as he shouldn't have been. And it was super interesting how the posters featuring like three powerful women looking beautiful and strong and smart and compassionate on the posters. Like there was a whole thing on Twitter that was guys being like, uh, so I guess this movie isn't for us. And I'm like, how many movies have I gone and seen in my lifetime where there was no woman on the poster, where there was like no woman in the movie other than to just maybe be like arm candy or like, you know, the hot piece of ass. So yeah, it's like to that point that even still today, people are saying like, hey, what's in it for me if it doesn't reflect white males in every instance? And it's like, guys, like you can represent different people and like we can all still enjoy it. It doesn't mean it's not for you. It doesn't mean that like the world is leaving you behind. And so I think younger people hearing those ideas would then go like, oh yeah, okay. I I have to like see myself reflected in something in order to get it. It's like, okay, well, how about white males? You use this as an opportunity to understand the importance of representation and what people want to see people like themselves on things. Oh my gosh. No time for men who are like, uh, where, why isn't my face on a poster? No time for that. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, you can GTFO. Do not care. I'm, I'm angry just thinking about it. <laughs> like, As always, like, I feel the need to add the disclaimer. Like we know most guys do not think that way. So all the good guys, we love you. <laughs> it's just those whiny ones. Oh my God. All the whiny ones. I'm rolling my eyes at you. Get it together. <laughs> Yeah, I think representation is so important. And when we live in a world that there is bountiful representation of men, I'm not concerned about your face not being on a poster. I am concerned about creating dialogue between you and the people who we're not normally seeing and figuring out ways that we can raise the voices of everyone so that everyone feels represented. It's one of those things where I think it's sort of changing the mindset of some folks to stop seeing so many things as a threat. Because honestly, that is really at the core of a lot of this. It's like, okay, if you only see women on a movie poster, that means we're somehow trying to supplant men, which is not what's happening. I think a lot of folks shy away from even using the word feminist because they think it means somehow man-hating or that we think women are better. It's like, uh, no, we just want women to be treated like the same. (laughs) Like this should not be controversial. That is not a threat to you. That's not a threat to your masculinity. Having men talk about their feelings or be vulnerable isn't a threat to anybody's masculinity. It's just expanding the definition of it. And that is a good thing. Like, why would we not all want that? Oh my gosh. That was beautiful. I completely agree with everything you just said. I'm just going to sign off here and say goodbye. (laughs) You peaked. You peaked. I know. It's all all downhill from here. (laughs) 
really kills me about toxic masculinity is that it does affect our money as women. And it affects money in general. I think Peggy's story again, where think about this, you know, if we have men running the workplace who don't feel comfortable talking to women or wanting to hire women, women are going to get boxed out of jobs and whole career tracks. And to Sam's point of in the gay community feeling like, yeah, the people who are as close to straight passing or who are more, who present as more masculine are seen as more successful. This hurts our money. This hurts our money. It perpetuates stereotypes of, oh, well, flamboyantly gay men aren't good with money. Oh, well, women aren't good at money. Women aren't professional. And that's not true. I mean, there's there's so much in all of this. Like, I think that it's it's the toxic masculinity voice that's saying in light of the Me Too movement, the things that are like, oh, so I guess I can't compliment a woman ever again. Like, okay, if you really think that that's what this is about, then like, yeah, you probably just shouldn't talk to women at all. Um, but that's like a flip thing for me to say, of course. The truth is that if we're letting people walk around with that view, like that's going to hurt women too because you see people saying like, oh, well, I couldn't hire a woman like the, the freaking Tony Robbins example where he was talking about his his powerful friend who didn't hire the most qualified candidate because she was really attractive and he was afraid of what it would be like to be around her. Like, whoa, bro, that is your problem. Why are you punishing her? But that's that's where we are. Like that is that is still very much the reality for a lot of people. And so that's why in a money sense, it's so important to talk about this and to try to fight toxic masculinity and push back and especially guys for you guys to step in and point it out and call it out uh, because it does punish a lot of people who are not the ones at fault. Because we do live in a patriarchy and women's voices are harder to find. People don't want to do the work to go find them. But I saw this tweet after Beyonce performed at Coachella and it was like, the next time someone tells you they can't find a woman of color who's qualified for a role, remind them that Beyonce found 10 black female violinists. <laughs> and I'm like, damn. I saw that too. I'm like, I am using that. I am going to say that. <laughs> yes. I've used it here now. I it may require more work for you to go find a woman or a person of color or, you know, insert oppressed group here, but do the work. <laughs> it takes work for us to succeed in a patriarchy. So look past the first three resumes, you know, take a look around the room and introduce yourself to the woman or the person of color who's standing there. Take the extra 10 seconds and do the work because that really does have repercussions for us and our money. Or if you're in the camp of saying, well, I'm not going to talk to women or I'm not going to hire women because it, that might be a liability issue for me, do the work of looking at yourself and of getting better and, you know, like just treating women like humans and not like sex objects all the time or not as objects to be possessed and to be buried next to. Oh, <laughs> amen. Oh, my God. Amen. <laughs> You know, we welcome your thoughts. If you have stories like Piggy's or if you don't have stories like that and you want to talk about 
how masculinity has not been toxic to you. I mean, send me that email. I'm curious to read that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we really do love hearing all perspectives and we have gotten some really incredible letters from readers and so many of them like help us think about things differently or just help us broaden our perspectives. So please keep them coming. You can always email us at fairersense at gmail.com. Yes. Or you can tweet us on Twitter at fairersense. Okay, well, I feel like we've done good work dismantling the patriarchy today. So mm-hmm. until next time, stay rad. Stay rad, not creepy, not soccerish. Stay rad. The Fairer Sense are me, Tanya Hester, and the world's best co-host, Tara Perez. Our theme song is by The Insider. Our ad music is by Kevin McLeod. And you can find out more info about the other artists you hear on the show at our website, thefairersense.com. You can always find me at ournextlife.com and Kara at bravelygo.co. And I'm going to talk in my big girl voice so I don't get any stupid hate mail. (laughs) That should go in the trailer. (laughs) Ha 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 ha!